You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In this particular uh, episode of Jesus' life and ministry, we see him on this mountainside, and he's articulating the values of the kingdom, and he's casting vision for these people who have gathered on what it's like to be the people of God, to be um, the redeemed of the Lord. And he makes this statement, which probably would have left them a little confused, a little puzzled, a little fuzzy, because truth be told, when we see this episode unfold in Scripture, this is not a time when these people are seeing God. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I have to imagine, if I'm to paint this picture on the canvas of my mind, there's a lot of people scratching their heads, thinking about what's going on in their times and comparing to all the stories of old, because you have to remember, these people are long gone from the days of manna from heaven, long ways away from the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and the lightning and the smoke upon Mount Sinai and all the exploits and wonders of Moses' deliverance out of captivity and passing through the Red Sea and Event after event after event of God's power and majesty and goodness, those days are long, long gone, and we are now in the days of Caesar. And we're in the days of Roman occupation, and we are in the days of corruption and sociopolitical upheaval and oppression. We're in the days of hard work and high taxes. We're in the days of poverty, the days of paganism, in the days of bloody beatings in the Roman square. We're in the days of the crucifixions. We're in days where I have to imagine they're saying, uh, see God? That's a stretch, Jesus, but man, that sounds good. And one of the interesting qualifiers that Jesus makes in their ability to see God is that they would have a pure heart. Now, when we hear the word pure in our modern context, we tend to think of organic foods. We tend to think of, I think of pure premium orange juice. I think of uh, non-GMO products and sprouts and all the, you know, artisanal, wholesome foods and all those kind of things. That's what pure means to me in my modern mind. But when these people would have heard pure, they would have thought about ceremonial cleansing, ceremonial purity, ritualistic purity, purity that's associated with the Mosaic law. And the Mosaic law was given, and we see this in Leviticus, and one of your favorite books to read, I'm sure, 
You just love to crack open Leviticus and just do a deep dive study with your coffee. You're laughing because you fall asleep when you start to read Leviticus. Leviticus is your bedtime reading. It's how you get yourself ready to get some deep Z's. But God has always desired for his presence to dwell amongst his people. And as he establishes the people of God, the, the children of Israel, he marks out the appropriate ways to engage in this worship relationship, and that is where we get these laws. That's where we get these rituals, these ceremonies. They ultimately weren't just religious rules, but they were a way to shape a relationship with a good God. And so they would have heard the word purity and not only thought of the law, but they would have reinterpreted that in their modern context. And here's what happens over time. People who observe religious rules and rites and rituals usually lose the context for which they were given. It just becomes this rote recital, this kind of thing, this rhythm that we just do. We just check the boxes and we follow the motions and we hope at some point we'll be able to land somewhere special and they've lost their way. And they find themselves on the side of this mountain listening to Jesus teach and he says, pure in heart. They were so obsessed with the rules and with purity in this day that the concept of purity in the heart was completely lost on them. And this is evidenced by something that we see in Mark chapter 7. And this blew me away as I read this. I mean, they were so skewed in their perception of the requirements of the law. Here's, here's this interchange between Jesus and the Pharisees and his disciples. Listen to this. Mark chapter seven, verses one through eight, he says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. The Pharisees saw that the disciples didn't wash their hands before dinner. I mean, this is a big deal. You brought your nasty hands to this table and you should have washed them and God is not pleased. And he goes, and they go on in this dispute to say, they have these unwashed hands. And parenthetically, in verse three, it says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. They have become so skewed in their perception of the application and the true essence of what the law was that they were just in this incessant ritual of just washing down everything, so much so that when Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, he says, you are whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, but death on the inside. They weren't pure in heart. And listen to what he says as he goes on to rebuke them. In this particular passage, he says to them, as they question him about the washing of the hands, and he says to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart 
is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. In verse 14, he goes down just to make sure that everybody's clear. He pulls everyone together because they're still kind of lost in this, this back and forth with the Pharisees. And he says, he brings all the people together. Hear me, all of you. And understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. They were still confused. And they came to him again because they are steeped in such a culture of this ritualistic cleansing and external making over. He comes to them and he says to them, then are you also without understanding? This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared the cleanliness of eating. But then he goes on to say, what comes out of a person is what defiles him for, for, from uh, within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adult adultery and coveting and wickedness and deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile the person. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what was buried in all these centuries of rule keeping and law abiding and trying to figure it out and getting it wrong time after time and realizing that they did not have the understanding nor the power to accomplish the very things that God had set out to mark them as a people, what had been lost was a promise. And this is the promise that was buried in their collective consciousness. Ezekiel 36. This was lost on them. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. This is God speaking about this rebellious people who could not live up to the requirements of the law and the relationship that he wanted to have with them. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will purify you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. When Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, he's literally turning their concept of the law inside out. He's helping them to understand that it's not an external showing that will justify them before God or put them in a position to see him, but it's the makeover and the renewal of their hearts. And through the renewal of their hearts, 
the purity of their hearts, they shall see God. They'll see God. This is where it gets really rough for us. I heard somebody laugh because they know how rough it gets. It gets rough, y'all. Here's, here's, here's partly why it gets rough. Let's, let's address the elephant in the room. We live, a culture, live in a culture in a system that is based upon performance. Where the underlying theme of life is you only deserve what you earn. You ever feel that? That anxiety, that thing that pushes you to try to measure up, it's in the water. It's behind the scenes. You go to school, you hope you make the grade. If you don't, you're less than. You go to work, and at the end of that 90 days, you get a performance evaluation. That determines your compensation and how you rank in the company. You didn't get it, and now you're questioning whether or not you're supposed to be doing this. And on and on and on it goes and the anxiety builds, and the broken sense of self develops, and we are unable to properly perceive, to see what is really at stake, and it's our hearts. Because the values of the kingdom are upside down, where the culture would tell you You only deserve what you earn. The kingdom would tell you that it's not based upon your merit, but based upon Christ's finished work that you're redeemed. So the call of discipleship and Jesus, even his call in the purity of heart, is not a call to work harder. It's a call to rest. It's a call to trust. It's a call call to believe that what God has done is sufficient for you. And that's where it gets rough because it's like, it it can't be that easy, Justin. Surely, there has to be a list of things. And this is where we're very much so like our forefathers, we run to the law, we run to our lists, and we miss the point. We don't quite understand it when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But once we actually trust and rest in what Christ has done, once we lay hold of it, once we say, yes, I will tear up my list. Yes, I will get off the hamster wheel of achievement. Yes, I will not try to justify myself. I will lean on the finished work of Jesus. 
Yes, I need that too. That's why I'm been meditating on it so much. Lean on the finished work of Jesus. Jesus says the pure in heart will see God. And yes, we will see God in the ultimate sense, in the fulfillment sense, in the glorious sense, in the afterlife sense. But I also believe that scripture throughout the New Testament teaches us that we will see God now. That this correction, this renewal, this restoration of our hearts prepares us and gives us vision to see God in the here and now. And I believe there's three ways that I would love to focus your attention on in the way our hearts can be pure, but also affect how we see God. The first is how we see ourselves. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when we see God, we will see ourselves differently. In 1 John 3, 23, 2 and 3, it says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. We are not just God's children in the sweet by and by. We are God's children now. And what we will be has yet to be appeared, to, has, yet, will be, uh, has not yet appeared, excuse me, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You see the connection there. We are continuously purified, purged, renewed with this correct sense of vision when we hope in Christ, but we also get to see ourselves in the way that he sees us. So the person who struggles with that self-loathing, that condemnation, that feeling of, I don't know if I'll ever get it right, The gospel declares to you, you are the child, you are a child of God now. You are accepted now, you are received now, you are blessed now. And you shall see God. Yeah, but Justin, you just don't know, you don't know, you don't know just how I'm just just messed up, just messed up. And I keep trying. And I'm, I'm telling you as a church kid, I've been there. I've gone to the altar over and over and over, hoping that one day I will have checked enough boxes to arrive. And it wasn't until I realized, oh, this wasn't about me and my external perfection. This was about you restoring 
the image of God in me through the transformation of my heart and that I can trust in the process of the Spirit redeeming me, bringing me into alignment, bringing me into wholeness. And John is capturing this idea that we will appear in the presence of God as he intended us to be. And as we set our hope on that, we are purified now. We're the children of God now. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when we see God, we see ourselves differently. Not only do we see ourselves differently, we see those who don't believe differently. And I've gotten this massively wrong. Good Lord, I've gone massively wrong with this concept. My concept of this looks more like the Pharisees who stood in the sanctuary in the, in the front, in the preferred seats, in the royal robes, and prayed prayers like, thank God I'm not like them. But listen, listen to what Paul says. Listen to Paul's heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, And then if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. He's saying those who are perishing, we must see that they are being blinded. But we won't see if our hearts are not grieved and gripped by the condition that they're in. God, help me to have that sense of brokenness for people who can't see. Help me to remember that there was a day when I couldn't see and that there are still days where I miss it and I don't see like I should. And there should be something, a sensitivity, a warmness, a move of the Spirit in purifying my heart where I can look and have that same passion that Paul had, that the blind are veiled to the glorious light of the gospel and they need to see. And he's raising me up so that I can see him, see myself properly and declare the truth that delivers them from their blindness, that they can see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and out of that seeing, God will live differently. 
not just waiting for the sweet by and by, but today we are the children of God. Today, the blind are around us and need to see, and the gospel is their hope. So our hearts purified, help us to see ourselves differently, help us to see those who can't see differently, those who don't believe. And then thirdly, it helps us to see those who are in need. And I was so blown away this morning when Carla was addressing the volunteers and she read this scripture and I was just like, Lord, you're doing something. We didn't collaborate. Like this is just a witness in the spirit of God. It says this here in, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 42 through 44, and I hadn't really paid attention to this little word before. It says, for I was hungry. Now this is Jesus teaching the disciples and others about the final judgment. And he says, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, see you thirsty, see you as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? When did we not see you? Clearly their hearts were not in a place to see that God was in the midst of the needy. A massive blind spot. And this isn't just something that, you know, us working adults deal with, you know, because we got kids and sports and work and we're busy. We have things to do and it's really hard to pay attention to the needs of others because we've got things we're doing. This starts early. This is how you know it's a heart issue because it starts early. Let me tell you this story. I was on my way to take my boys to something. I don't know what it was. It was a dinosaur show or one of those things that they just think is so cool. And as a parent, you're like, why? What, what is this? Why are you excited about that? That's just, but it's the wonder of a child. We parked and we're walking down the street. We get to a, a stop, um, street crossing. And my second boy, Joshua, looks over and sees a homeless man. And I notice that he's watching the guy. He just keeps looking, keeps looking, keeps looking. I said, Josh, what are you thinking? He said, that guy's homeless. I said, yeah. He's like, just looking. I could tell he's processing. He said, uh, I said, do you want to help him? He said, yeah, I do. I said, okay, well, what can we, what can we do to help him? Maybe we can give him some money. Okay, why you do that? But listen to what he says next. He said, but dad, he's smoking a cigarette. 
but he's smoking a cigarette. At six and seven years old, there's already this contortion, this brokenness, this sense of who's in and who's out, who's worthy, who's unworthy, who should be helped and who shouldn't. And I looked at my boy and I said, I didn't ask you if he was smoking a cigarette. I asked you if you want to help him. He said, I do. I said, well, let's find something to give him and you take it to him. He took the money and he walked over to him sheepishly while the guy's puffing the daylights out that cigarette. Deep drags. I mean, just sucking that thing down. <laughs> he goes over. <laughs> but do you see it? You see how we are from this big. There's something at work that God is trying to deliver us from so we can see the glory of the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I'm going to read this last passage of scripture, we're thinking about our hearts and how our hearts are reoriented and what God wants to do. And I just, this prayer from Paul is so appropriate. And I want to read this as we move toward prayer and closing. In Ephesians 1, 18, this is what he says. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are, the, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul gives us this magnificent view. But his prayer is that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Because without the Spirit's work in our hearts, we can't see this. We can't see ourselves properly. We can't see that those around us who don't believe are blind. And we definitely can't see those who are in need where God is hidden amongst them. 
You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.